1: By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, Where today is Sunday, January the 9th, 2022. You have to pause. Make sure you don't say the wrong year. It is January 9th, 2022. And I'm joined
3: to my immediate south by Chris Colo. Hello. It's great to be here. And we have a quite the big show for you here, Brandon. We are going to discuss on today's episode the dismantling of NXT 1.0. There were some major releases With the Performance Center and training and writing staff uh, with NXT this week. So we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss on this episode, AEW's move to TBS for Dynamite. We're going to discuss New Japan Pro Wrestling coming to access again on television, as well as Wrestle Kingdom attendance numbers, and as well as the WWE quarterly report for Q4 has been reported conference call for February, and we'll discuss that and much more on this sunday morning edition of Russell
2: that's a lot of things that's we've got i've got 82 slides on this google slides presentation will we get through all of them today it remains to be seen so the bills Ooh. are playing the, the jets the jets today
3: yes and if the bills win uh they will uh Be the AFC East champions, and uh, if if they win, it's as simple as that. Simple as that. Simple as that. Okay. No,
2: Belichick. If they lose, then do they maybe still win the win the division?
3: Yes. If they lose and New England loses, they still win the division. If they tie and New England ties, they still win the division in a home playoff game. But if they lose and New England wins, then they'll be playing next week on the road for the playoffs but but didn't the
2: patriots beat the bills both times
3: no one time oh one time. it's one in one yep okay okay well let's begin yeah, and we will get right into it. Uh, but uh, those of you joining us here on the YouTube channel, remember we have the super chat feature. If you ha- want to ask questions throughout uh, today's episode, uh, it starts at a dollar and you can donate any increment that you believe so to ask your question. Uh, but yeah, let's get right into it here. And the big releases of NXT. Uh, we saw some major releases this week. Uh, William Regal. Um, Dave Kabor, who was on the writing staff, Ryan Katz, who was on the writing staff, Brian James, also known as Road Dog, Scott Armstrong, A Steel, Hideki Suzuki, Timothy Thatcher, Danny Birch, uh, Kathy Carino, also known as Allison Danger, George Carroll, Gabe Sapolsky, and Samoa Joe. Uh, the majority of them were trainers, uh, which I didn't even know until these releases that Timothy Thatcher and Danny Birch were training, uh, as they haven't really been on NXT television uh in a few months. So major shakeups and I think the big correlation which I know that you you're, you're going to discuss your brand is a lot of these were Triple H hires or Triple H close confidants and Triple H's vision of NXT. A mm-hmm.
2: bunch of wrestling people. Um yes. So we're going to uh narrate the last several years here. Give people a uh a retrospective history of the the recent professional life of one Paul Levesque. Um So we start for people watching on YouTube with this brilliant image, which I th- I think he did after Cody. Uh, this is an image of, of triple H in in a suit and tie in the shadows, this dark, dark place sitting on the throne, which is, which appears to be the same throne that he's used for some WrestleMania entrances just uh, in the shadows. Um, and, and actually I have a surprise for you, Chris Cole. If you look in this, okay. if you look in the speaker notes of this slide on on your end, you will find yeah, yeah, you will find a beautiful poem that I, that, that I think not just me, but the listeners would enjoy hearing you recite.
3: All right. It's all about the game and how you play it. All about control and if you can take it all about your debt and if you can pay it. It's all about pain and who's going to make it. Mm. I am the game and you don't want to play me. I am control. no way you can change me. I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me. I am the pain, and I know you can take me yes
2: we, we need we need like some some sinister uh, ghoul laughter at the end of that. Um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> thank
2: you um was it true that um Triple H helped write
3: those lyrics uh i i I heard something like that i I wouldn't know for sure. I know him and Lemmy were close. Yes, so. yes. yes, he's a big Motorhead
2: fan. That's who recorded his entrance song. Um, what would you say? So we're, we're going to start at the beginning of the Performance Center era. The Performance Center opens July 2013. This is Governor Rick Scott here at the center. They're, they're standing at a podium It's Paul Levesque, Stephanie McMahon, Rick Scott. I believe oh, I forget this guy's name here on the on the far end. He's uh, W's some sort of executive of live events. I forget his name. Um, maybe maybe there's uh, some politicians from the Orlando area. But anyway, what would you say around this time is the historical with reputation with hardcore fans about Triple
3: H? Uh, I would say that people would think of him and his run in the ruthless aggression era where he was always on top and cutting 45 minute promos fans would say, and, and keeping guys down like Rob Van Dam and others, uh, Chris Jericho and among a few, uh, basically, you know, he would have all this political power and he would do whatever he takes to stay on top. Mm-hmm. That was the, what a lot of the general internet fan at least thought of him.
2: And it didn't hurt that he, he married Stephanie, who's the daughter of yep. a sick man. Uh, who's the boss. So so anyway, we start there. The Performance Center opens as this idea that, you know, I, th- I, I think there's a comment by Stephanie somewhere saying that, you know, we had a developmental that something to the def- fact, I'm sure she didn't put it this directly, Lord knows, that in the past, development wasn't working as cooperatively with us as they should have been. They weren't working for us. They were working against us. You can think about the Tense relationships that they had with people like Jim Cornette in the past, who was you know operating OVW. Um, but anyway, you know they they wanted a a performance center, a training center of their own. And In the past, this has just been outsourced. Training has been outsourced to places like FCW and OVW, Deep South. Going even further back to the to the Memphis uh, organizations in the late. Uh, 90s and early 2000s, so finally they would have why not have something in house and not just that not just sort of the practical aspect of that, but uh, if you're going to attract world class athletes from from around the world, uh, it would be nice to be able to tell them that we're not just going to send you to a warehouse in Kentucky, we're going to send you to Orlando where with our really nice facility uh, with with our Trainers who've, you know, we've hired directly and we're directly overseeing it and all of that. So that's sort of the idea. Um, should note that a few years before this, Shane McMahon leaves the company and sort of just politically to to our optics, at least. Shane leaves the company, seems to be having some disagreements with Vince. It's not fun anymore. He said things to that effect since. And Triple H, the son in law, not the son, appears to sort of assume Shane's role as as an apparent heir, maybe not to be the CEO, but to to assume a lot of Vince's responsibilities in the future, perhaps. Anyway, NXT becomes the developmental brand. NXT had previously been this sort of sci-fi game show thing that took the place of the the ECW relaunch. And uh, NXT becomes this brand that's Part of the network. I remember watching it on Hulu before it was even on the network. Um, yep. And uh, NXT has uh, the first of of its live specials, which have later come to be known as takeovers. The first live streamed event on the network, I do believe, is the first NXT. Don't call is. It wasn't a takeover, but it was called something else with the Cesaro and Sami Zayn match, with the Bo Dallas and Adrian Neville title match. Anyway, in advance of that live special, Triple H starts to do the first of his many live conference calls and where you would actually take questions from wrestling media, which was unheard of at the time. And uh, he says this about the indie scene. This is in February 2014. Do you feel like reading that in your best Paul Levesque voice? I All right, I can do that. You don't have to do it in
3: (laughs) a The indie scene becomes less and less of a factor all the time. It just does. We're having to create the talent. They're not out there ready to just get picked. Sometimes it's really hard to get people out of they've been doing a playbook for eight years to get them to come over to ours. It's a tough transition. Sometimes it's easier to almost teach guys from day one to just do our playbook.
2: Yes. So in 2014... we're not that far removed from the John Lauren era of hiring people who are six foot three and 265 pounds and hiring women who are fitness models and so forth. But we are in, in this time where the Indies are becoming part in part, thanks to streaming and social media. And then this would be more true further along after 2014, the Indies are becoming more prominent, more visible, at least to a certain section of fans. Uh, NWE, is not that yet, you know? They do have Neville as their champion at this time, who's a smaller wrestler, and certainly had a strong non-WB run in, in places like Dragon Gate. Um, but this is them sort of dismissing the idea. This is Triple H, at least, dismissing the idea that yeah, it's not necessarily a great thing to be yeah, to be an indie wrestler to come in here. I mean, if you do, that's fine, but we're not necessarily interested in that because you know you, you can. You've, we've heard this idea that you know, you need to come in here and learn how to do W style. And, and, uh, there's a story about like Shawn Michaels and Triple H sort of watching CM Punk and and sort of picking apart his performance. And, you know, this, this guy's too much of an indie wrestler and they don't know how to do what we do. Um, so, and I remember, you know, being in cars at, at this time and like talking to, to people who were thinking about becoming wrestlers or just started to train, and being like, I don't know, like, if you want to go to, you want to go to WWE, I would tell them, you know, well, stay in school, become an awesome college athlete, be the best college athlete that you can. And then maybe they'll recruit you. Uh, because I, I had heard this comment from Triple H and he's like, okay, he doesn't value indie wrestlers. I guess that's the way it is. Um, and then in December, 2014, they signed Kevin Steen, soon to be known as Kevin Owens. They hired Fergal Devitt. Prince Devitt, soon to be known as Finn Balor. Kenta, soon to be known as Hideo Tommy. They already had Sami Zayn, who was generical on the Indies. And then in uh, May, so this is a year and some months later after the previous comment that Gullah just read, Triple H uh, says this. And you'll notice here, I, I'm just a fixator of words sometimes, I know. But Paul Veck uses this filler phrase oftentimes. It's funny.
3: It's funny. Sometimes people will say there's this big comparison of like, Oh, this guy's an indie guy. This guy didn't have experience. I don't care where people come from. Yeah. Or yeah. Indie guys are great because they have experience. Whether I agree with their style or anybody does, it's irrelevant. They have experience in front of crowds and that is something you can teach.
2: I really appreciate that, that Paul Vick decided to do these media calls. It, it, they were fascinating to listen to. And as we know, he didn't do one for the last takeover, <laughs> the, the very last black and gold NXT takeover. Um, but it's 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 a real fascinating gaslighting of of the wrestling media that he does, where, where he's like, no, no, it's I'm saying something totally opposite of what I was just saying. But no, it's it's always been this way. I mean, I don't care. I don't know why you're bringing that up. And uh, it would we're not going to get into the. Into, Many more quotes. I think we have one more to read, but just wait until the the uh, WE, uh, or I'm sorry the AEW competition starts, um, where he's saying things like, "Why are you asking me if we're going to move to Tuesday? I don't, I don't see, see you asking somebody else if they're going to move to Tuesday." This is a exchange with Meltzer that I was just listening to before we started recording this. Um, so yeah, it's it's this sounds like his philosophy has changed uh, to. Maybe valuing people who have indie experience, and I think part of what was happening here. And I, I wonder how much William Regal was an influence in changing this view. Um, I think just being at full sale and popping the crowd, and as we're going to talk about in a the moment, they're starting to actually be able to tour with this brand, and they're able to get a stronger response when they're putting the prototypical fantastic wrestlers in the ring versus their their pure. Athlete products, but anyway, then we have that was May 2015. First comment was February 14. This is May 15. Now this is his comment, October uh, 2015, in response to somebody bringing up Gabe Sapolsky and, and Evolve, uh, because he's probably by this time starting to use some wrestlers who are not signed to WWE on NXT TV, uh, but who are heavily involved in Evolve.
3: I think they, Evolve and other independent companies, are a very important part of the business, and I know it's a struggle out there to keep things rolling, to keep things kind of alive if you're a small promotion, and some of the other, uh, if this makes sense, bigger small promotions are making that more difficult sometimes for the smaller promotions. So, you know, I support them in any way I can. If I can help them out, I'd love to. And, you know, promote their events. I think having the healthy independent undercurrent to the business is vitally important, and I don't want to see that go away. So, independent superfan, Paul Levesque now,
2: admits his love for independent wrestling. Uh, I think it was around this time, maybe a little before this, he mentions Ring of Honor by name. He mentions a company called Dragon's Gate. He loves all those guys. I distinctly remember him saying um. So clearly, he's he's growing a relationship with certain independent companies, including Gabe Sapolsky's Evolve, uh, and eventually we would see progress in ICW, and we would have the multi-year discussion about when those companies' content would come to the WWE Network. Um. But anyway, in March 2015, they actually put NXT on the road for the first time in a house show in Cleveland, uh, and then in San Jose at WrestleMania weekend, they went to San Jose State University, I believe it is, and they ran this. WrestleMania weekend house show, not a takeover yet, not anything that was televised, but they, they sold this place out, something like that. They packed it. Uh, the, I'm sure at the time it was the largest audience that NXT had performed in front of or this, at least this version of NXT, um, McMahon Man in attendance. Uh, I think this is the event where, where Triple H pulls out his phone and does like a, a, a video and puts it on Twitter. He's like, developmental my ass, and then he puts puts the the, the <laughs> phone on, on onto the crowd. Um, Vince McMahon in attendance, I believe. Berrios in attendance, sort of astonished at what they were seeing here. This is an R SmackDown. How can it be drawing this many people? Uh, Vince McMahon is introduced to the crowd, I believe, and I and it's at this event that people start chanting "Better than Mania" when he is introduced. This reportedly infuriates Vince McMahon that people could be telling him that some other product, like this one, which is a minor league developmental feeder system, is better than his, Wrestlemania. That's not acceptable. That's sacrilege to Vince McMahon. Anyway, it goes on. NXT, uh, in conjunction with SummerSlam, running at the same venue the following day, they sell out, uh, at lower ticket prices, they sell out Barclays Center for the first... Arena takeover. Uh, this is memorably highlighted by the the Bailey Sasha Banks match, uh, and then uh, they ha- actually have their first WrestleMania weekend takeover in Dallas in April 2014. This is the debut of Nakamura with Sami Zayn. Uh, is It's it's startling to see an old picture of Sami Zayn now with uh, the the uh, the the uh, communist that he's become. Uh, And (laughs) then this continues to evolve. No pun intended. The uh, it's not technically an NXT event, but this is certainly under the purview of Paul Avec January 2017 in Blackpool, United Kingdom. They do the the first UK tournament crown uh, Tyler Bate. This was how many how many years ago was this now? This is four years ago. This was anyway, uh, a year later, they opened the five years ago. Five
3: years. 17. Yeah.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah, it's crazy. Following year in London, they open the NXT UK. uh, They open the UK Performance Center and launch the NXT UK brand. And then a few months after that. Triple H gets up there on the stage and does the business partner summit. I hope this year we get another business partner summit. Business partner summit is this big presentation that they used to do every year at WrestleMania weekend, where they would invite all their business partners to WrestleMania weekend and, and look at, look at, look at our amazing event. And they would do this, this presentation that would eventually end up on the corporate website of various executives, you know, give, giving their pitch about how, how great their vision is and how great WWE is. Um, and Triple H gave his speech on something called global localization. What is global localization, Criscolo?
3: So that is to uh, basically take this global brand, you know, but make it fit to places like India and the UK and all that, using predominantly talent of that area and target that base, but with a global brand. Yes. Triple H says in this
2: presentation that I'm not quoting him here, but he basically says that you know, W was able to grow into what it became because we were able to sign all this talent away from – I mean, Vince probably wouldn't put it this way, but they put they put themselves out of business. But he's got an image up on the, the screen here of the – he's got a map of the United States, the AWA logo, of course, over uh, the Midwest. He's got the, the world-class logo over Texas, the WCW logo over the Carolinas. And, and sort of lines drawing them towards the W logo in New York. <laughs> uh, they, they were able to, rec- let's say, put it in, in sort of modern language. They were able to recruit talent from all these territories that developed talent to, to become valuable. And, and after we killed the territories, he didn't, certainly didn't say it that way. But after they killed the territories, uh, there was nowhere else for us to recruit talent that was ready for the big time. We had to create them ourselves which is an amazing sort of double speak compared to what was actually happening at that time that this might've made sense. If he was giving this speech in 2014 or 2013, just after the performance center opened, but but the performance center was sort of stated to be is sort of of stated to be this place where we would take peer projects who had no wrestling experience or very little. And we would make them become WWE superstars, uh, meanwhile he's giving the speech in 2018 they're signing an increasing number of wrestlers from from 2013 onward in 2013 this is this is a number it's not my estimate or something I'm I'm you know using cage match data for this is something that W disclosed themselves in their annual report every year they do disclose the number of talent that they have under contract and it seems to be it's an approximate number and in every year here it's apparently to the nearest five or ten but we start 2013 with 135 wrestlers under contract and each year it grows a little bit to the point where in tw- 2019 300 wrestlers as of 2020 nearly 300 we'll get an update in the uh, the new annual report that comes out uh early next month uh and uh Matt Schroeder and I did this breakdown using cage match data to look at by the by the on the day that you had your 10th WWE main roster match which it was sort of our stand-in for you've been promoted to the main roster. By the time you had that 10th main roster match, we asked, what made up the majority of your wrestling experience at that time? And for people watching on YouTube, what, what you'll see here is in the blue, blue identifies wrestlers who had the majority of their experience outside of the W system, outside of W developmental. And red indicates wrestlers who had their, the majority of their experience in the WWE system. And we, we also, we see from, from 2011, the WWE system percentage is really high. What what we're asking here too, by the way, it's not clear is in each year, take all the wrestlers who achieved their 10th main roster match, put all those wrestlers in a bucket and ask each one, you know, where, where was the majority of your experience in in 2011, 70% of the wrestlers who are having their 10th main roster match, 70% of them, had the majority of their experience in, in the W system uh, that that falls the next year. It goes up the next year, the year the performance center opens, it goes up the next year in 2014, it goes up the next year, even in 2015, the majority of wrestlers having their 10th main roster match in 2015 had uh, the majority of their experience in the W system. But then in 2016, it falls down to half in 2017. It's only 22%. Suffice to say that over this time, rather than increasing the number of pure W projects who make it to the main roster, it's in many years decreasing. It's not a consistent trend, but it's it's below uh, the majority in 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. In other words, more indie wrestlers or people who have experience in New Japan or wherever are getting through the W system, going into NXT and making it onto the main roster. Um, so he's giving this presentation about global localization, about how the territories aren't there. And we just don't have anywhere. At one point, he's even giving the speech over a picture of like AJ Styles debuting at the Royal Rumble of all things. Somebody who didn't go to NXT at all, went directly to the main roster, mm-hmm. uh, as, as if the Indies don't exist while at the same time on these conference calls for, for wrestling media, changing his tune about how valuable the Indies are and, and, Clearly establishing overt relationships with Evolve, ICW in progress, independent wrestling companies. Anyway, that happens. And then September 2019 rolls around. NXT goes to the USA Network to do battle with AEW Dynamite, this new company. NXT quickly, well, not quickly. It's somewhat competitive at first. But uh, by 2020... It's it's pretty much a runaway, at least in terms of the demo. Total viewership is a little bit back and forth. But AEW wins the Wednesday Night War in August 2020. New executives, Nick Khan, the mythical Nick Khan, and, uh, and the new CFO, Christina Salen, joined the company. Uh, a new regime in power replacing uh, George Berry's and Michelle Wilson, who were dismissed as co-presidents in January of that year. And uh, NXT's two-year deal is coming up for renewal, as we've talked about a couple times here, and I guess it bears repeating, is that everybody focuses, this is the easy wrestling story to understand, is that, oh my god, they lost the Wednesday Night War, AEW won the Wednesday Night War, NXT lost, Triple H failed, but what also happened here, I believe, is that NXT failed to become a valuable TV rights brand. We have all these ridiculous in my view estimates when, when the NXT to USA announcement is made all these ridiculous estimates that the deal is worth $50 million a year, a hundred million dollars a year. Uh, and then they announce a renewal. Um, what date is that variety publishes this article on March 30th, 2021 on March 30th, 2021 stock price is $55. It basically doesn't move. Uh, if anything, the next day it goes down a little bit. It's not as if this, uh, announcement of this valuable deal, which which if it was worth $50 million, would be on par with its second biggest TV deal. Uh, that is the one in India. No movement in the stock. And then in April, the next, the very next conference call, uh, I'm sorry, earnings conference call, uh, related to their quarterly report, an analyst, uh, Stephen Cajal, from Wells, Wells Fargo, asks Christina Salen if uh, the NXT deal means anything uh, to their guidance. Basically, does this affect your profitability? Uh, and Christina Salen says, no, there's nothing to update in regard to our guidance because of the NXT deal. In other words, the NXT deal either was not a change from what it was in the first place, it was not worth that much in the first place, maybe, and a downgrade didn't even matter, or an upgrade of that much didn't even matter. So suffice to say that in, in my best estimation, this NXT deal is not worth very much at all, and the, the renewal kept them on the USA Network but it, didn't, it certainly didn't turn into this big upgrade to where it was worth a lot more than it was worth beforehand. And I think that's what allows uh, Vince Man and others to say, all right, this isn't working out. We're going to totally rebrand this into NXT 2.0. That takes us to this past Tuesday, the New Year's Evil episode of NXT. where Braun Breaker comes out. And for people watching on YouTube, he does this. He makes his entrance as the video will load. He kicks over the there it is. He kicks over the black and gold. Well, it's just gold and it, X that represents the old regime, the old era. Um, so who wins here? What what who's the benefit if if Paul Levesque is losing power? And we could also mention that at this, you know, over this course of time, in the beginning of 2020, uh the proxy statement came out. Uh, which it does every every spring, and and it gives us an idea of executive compensation. Uh, and we learned through the the proxy statement that Paul Levesque was no longer uh, his title was no longer the executive vice president of Live Events Talent and Creative, but his new title uh, as of like February twenty twenty is executive vice president of Global Talent and Strategy. I may I may be getting that slightly wrong. But who's who's to benefit from this? Any guesses?
3: Well, uh, I think it's Vince's vision, Kevin Dunn's vision. Yeah. I would say somewhat Bruce Pritchard's vision as well.
2: Yeah. for Bruce Pritchard's has not been on TV lately for that's worth. worth. Um, but Kevin Dunn and um, – The rumor has always been that Kevin Dunn and, and Paul Levesque uh, were at odds in terms of the power dynamic in, in, in WWE. Uh, Meltzer has reported or speculated that the day that uh, – Paul and Stephanie come to power. One of the first things they'll do is fire Kevin Dunn. Um, but as, as I, I joked on Twitter earlier this week, it's it's been a it's been a great another great day to be Kevin Dunn. We got the further dismantling of of the old regime of NXT. Uh, you know, I'd heard that Kevin Dunn hated NXT, hated the look of it, hated the the way that it was produced or something. So they made it as different as possible, make it all colorful and rainbow colored. And uh, and and speaking of of you know. Things being great for Kevin Dunn, it wasn't that long ago. It was just uh, the middle of last year or so, I believe, the spring. When remember when uh, WWE was doing all those uh, employee cuts, and Jr. Donlin, despite being one of Sports Business Journal's 40 under 40 uh, top executives, was let go from WWE. He was the former WWE's former executive vice president of advanced of the Advanced Media Group, uh, as, as WWE decided to consolidate. Kevin Dunn's television department, J.R. Donlin's advanced media group and W studios. So Susan Levinson, who was in charge of the D- W studios was also let go all consolidated under Kevin Dunn's power. And uh, yeah, so I I think, I think ultimately what happens here is yeah, I was, it was on the, uh, the PWI podcast with uh, Brian Solomon and, uh, and Al Castle, Brian Solomon's a, a former, writer, uh, in the early two thousands. And, uh, you know, he said, I've, I've, I've had that conversation with Vince about, you know, how he, he hates this idea that, that people think that the WrestleMania three, you know, the best match of WrestleMania three was Steamboat and Savage. So I saw Kogan and Andre, uh, Brian was saying that, you know, Vince, Vince hates this. It's this sort of, uh, Dave Meltzer way of viewing, um, wrestling, uh, this idea of, and I mean, we don't need to completely attribute it to, to Dave, but this, this this way of viewing wrestling that has become more prominent among, among fans generally uh, over time, it's, it's cer- still certainly not everyone. I don't know if it's the majority even, but it's a lot more fans today than it was in the past of fans viewing, I don't know, what are, what are the main differences? I guess, I guess valuing athletic matches um but vince hates that idea of which was really embodied in in nxt i don't know that uh, I, I tweeted triple h once and, and asked him is vince watching and he this was years ago he did S- certainly had no idea who i was i don't know i doubt he has any idea who i am now but um he tweeted that he will be watching you know um, so i it, it was always amusing to to Conceive of this notion that Vince McMahon, somewhere, you know, in his in his dinosaur office, would be looking at, like, uh, watching, a, having on on the big screen, while 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 scrawling into a yellow legal notepad, with that, that he'd be having the the latest takeover on, um, which which in, you know exemplified a version of wrestling that, while still maintaining the camera cu- cuts and the ridiculous language, uh, that notwithstanding, was so opposite. To his vision of wrestling and the way that I think he wants people to accept wrestling, which is his taste. Um, so I think I suspect that that Vince didn't like NXT and was threatened by its relative success. It was certainly an overperforming developmental brand. Uh, it toured I don't know if those tours were financially successful or not, but it was a, a growing brand that overperformed what it was supposed to be. To, to the surprise of, of, of Vince and other executives who did not expect wrestling to, to do so well. Um, and it harnessed an energy, a growing energy in wrestling fandom for an alternative to main roster WWE. Um, because I think main roster WWE was not giving wrestling fans everything that it wanted. And I don't think that, you know, I don't buy this idea that you can't, that there are these two audiences that can't possibly be simultaneously satisfied. Um, So anyway, I think NXT's failure to beat AEW in the ratings on Wednesdays and then its failure, apparently, to capture greater TV rights value. Those two things, much to Vince's relief, allow Triple H's threatening vision of wrestling uh, to finally be dismissed and deplatformed and uh, can put, put people who are more in alignment with Vince's vision of wrestling and of the business sports entertainment in power. And uh, it's fascinating to think about what, what the relationship is like right now between Paul of and Vince man, but there's some
3: recent history. Um. Yeah. And before we wrap this up, just to kind of circle back to the, to the releases. I mean, you know, we hear the stories of guys that were good to triple H when he was up coming and triple H took care of him. William Regal being one, who was released, uh, but surprising to me that we do get these releases and Terry Taylor is still there. Um, I, but I believe Terry Taylor and Sean Michaels may be the last of the connections do triple H involved with the performance center. Yeah.
2: I, I think Sean Michaels will have a job there for life just because of how prominent he was as a, as, yeah. a pers- as a personality and talent to the company. I think there's, there's probably a special loyalty between Vince and Sean that will keep that in place. Um, I don't know about Terry Taylor, though. Do we know that Terry Taylor has answered his phone, though? Um, <laughs> that is true, yeah. Or, or maybe Vince just feels guilty for sticking with the Red Rooster gimmick. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But um, the, the, real quick on, on Regal. Regal always, by, by my optics, seemed to be the number two person behind Triple H in, N- in the N- NXT in the Performance Center. And uh, I, I sort of envisioned a, a moment where Paul Levesque would move up to become the head of creative on the main roster and Regal would seem like the most obvious person to, you know, sort of take over NXT, but uh, we're, we're on a different timeline now.
3: <laughs> I always thought Regal would have been head of talent relations under yeah. a, uh triple H regime. Yeah.
2: Yes. I see. We do, we do have a super chat from NJ from MJ and NJ much
3: appreciated. Yeah. He basically, uh, he put that in response to when I was talking out triple H is the game lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Yes.
2: Yeah, we need to do more more recitations of uh of, of W theme song lyrics
3: as if they're poetry. I'm from all for that. But, so yeah, it'll be very interesting, uh to see. I don't even know really the performance center staff they have now, uh, other than Steve Carino and you know uh Albert. <laughs> and I I can't think of anybody else that's there currently. Uh so they, they just hired Williams, reportedly. Um Yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's clearly a move and it's in some people's interest in, in terms of their power to, to push for that move, to move away from the idea that we need people who have any wrestling experience. I mean, there's probably still going to sign people with wrestling experience and still hold the traditional tryouts that they have in the past, but they're content to dismiss this idea that they're, they're competing for wrestling talent with AEW or others and, it's hard to talk about this company in, in any real depth without starting to psychoanalyze Vince. Um, the more that you can have a, a main roster that is fed talent, who whose talent cannot be credited to anyone else yet, the more likely it is that Vince is going to be able to get behind this person and be able to cultivate them into a more valuable, marketable star. Roman Reigns, you know, somebody that, Yes, he has attributes that mean that he has great potential, but he had, you know, he was, he was also, he was second generation. He was from a, you know, the Samoan wrestling family and that, that appeals to Vince and he's not somebody whose credit can be attributed to any other wrestling promoter. Perhaps Vince uh, is insecure about, you know, the, the criticism that you can give him that, well, you didn't make Hogan, Vern made Hogan, you know. You can look at all these, these stars that, that, that you've had and you've promoted and, and somebody else made them. Um, and he has to be the lone creator and cultivator of talent. Um, and I think that's really important to him, to the detriment
3: of his company. Um, one other point I'll make before we move on, uh, because we discussed this on the show many a times about the amount of talent that is out there. If like a third billionaire wanted to get involved and in, in, in start a company, now you have a support staff. Yeah. A lot of members of a good support right. staff out there. Right. <laughs> like yeah. with Ryan Katz Re- and Dave Kapoor Riegel on the writing there. side, yeah. William Regal, uh, could heavily, could be heavily involved in creative and talent recruiting. Uh, and I mean, just many more. You just look at that list of people that, that could help you, uh, start a company. So it just, it, it's just getting more and more of a better situation if someone really wanted to come along.
2: Yeah. I think the, the Venn diagram of money and the right, Wrestling intelligence is so small, you know, and uh, so far there's only one person that's that's been in that Venn diagram.
0: Um, so, yeah. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast,
3: All right, and we will move on to AEW and this week was the debut episode of Dynamite on TBS. Yes. As they have moved to TBS uh here in 2022, uh and uh, kind of break down the performance there, um how they did. Yes. We've already been going for almost
2: 45 minutes here. I did talk about this um, on Live TV Ratings Talk, so I don't want to dwell on it too much. We do have quarter hours to look at that I didn't have to look at at that point uh, on Thursday night. The TBS number um, was 1,010,000 total, uh, 0.43 in the demo, which comes out to 558,000 viewers in the demo. Uh, This is a good rating in my view. This was their highest 18 to 49 rating since September 29th, which people can see on the screen here. Um, if you're attributing this to the, to the move that, oh my God, they're no longer having to air out of prime time in the West coast and the Pacific time zone, the mountain time zone. Uh, I think that's overrated. The, the data doesn't support that, but who needs data. But anyway, the, the East East coast declined, uh, in, in, in coincidence with the beginning of the NHL season, just like, uh, some major markets in the Pacific time zone, the mountain time zone. Um, what I think is most attributable. To this move, perhaps the hype—the hype of the title match between Adam Page and Brian Danielson—but also the Big Bang Theory, which is a tremendous lead-in, and a far stronger lead-in than Dynamite likely ever had uh, on TNT. Certainly, in terms of consistency, um, those movies, those movies that were lead-ins for for TNT, probably did under a point two zero in the demo. I would guess on almost every occasion, um, maybe more, maybe even under a point one five. Big Bang Theory is, is averaging a 0.30, maybe a 0.31 um that's during that's actually during uh during the dynamite time slot but i think it's pretty similar if you look at the 7:30 episode uh that's that is the lead-in now for dynamite on tbs so um people tell me and ask me all the time who's a draw in wrestling is it, is it is it who's the needle mover is it roman reigns is it cm punk is it kenny omega is it not it's the big bang theory big bang theory That's what's what's a draw. Uh, But I think it really did help. Um, In terms of comparisons or like what what demographics really grew for this episode versus what's been happening normally. So we look at the last four weeks compared to this episode, this most recent episode of Dynamite, the debut on, on TBS. We've got a more than doubling of the female 18 to 34 demo. The female 18 to 34 demo is also the smallest volume demo that we have here. So this volatility may be. Uh, artificial, uh, but nonetheless, it was up a lot. Uh, the younger half of the of the key demo, eighteen to thirty four, was had an enormous jump. Had an eighty percent jump. The male side was up fifty five percent again. The female side up one hundred and twenty percent. This was the high. This this eighteen to thirty four. We don't have this on the screen, but this eighteen to thirty four audience again, the younger half of the key demo, which was how many viewers? Uh, Two hundred thirty nine. That was higher than Raw this week. Uh, the, the SmackDown column that we have here is the FS1 preempted best of shows, which doesn't matter. Um, but this was higher than than any episode of Raw or SmackDown in eighteen to thirty four since I believe the end of November when SmackDown did a number like this, and then you have to go back to September to find a Raw number that had a, a that had an eighteen to thirty four audience as large as this. Curious to see if this sustains this this type of uh, young viewership sustains for aw the uh, the median age was much lower than usual also i believe it was about 46 whereas it's usually like 49 sometimes even 50 so we had a younger audience a younger makeup here watching this episode um yeah and there, there you can see if people are watching on youtube you can see the conditional formatting here of, of what really jumped versus uh, other other demos that were absolutely normal like the older half of the 35 to 49 demo which was down two percent Essentially unmoved. Um, if we look at the comparison, again, we've got, we've got a SmackDown column here, but that's just the FS1 SmackDown, so disregard that. But if we look at the, the Raw, uh, what did Raw do on Monday versus what did Dynamite do on Wednesday? Uh, Raw was, of course, much higher in total viewership, up by 70%. Raw was only 6% higher in the demo, 18 to 49. Uh, Dynamite was up higher, 5% uh, versus Raw in the male 18 to 49. So Ra was ahead with women. They were a tie with men 18 to 34, young men. Dynamite was actually up with young women 18 to 34. Uh Dynamite was up with adult men or young older adult men. We we should, we should just it's it's hard to always say these numbers cuz nobody knows what I'm saying when I say these numbers. I w- I would like to say middle-aged men this would categorize me as a middle-aged man though which makes me uncomfortable. And then it would allow you, Chris Gullo, to at least for one more year, I believe, be categorized as a young adult man. Meanwhile, I have to be a, a middle-aged adult man. Makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but yes, middle-aged adult men up 7% uh, versus raw. So dynamite, uh, 7% higher. Uh, while middle-aged women, 67% higher for raw than for dynamite. Um, and of course, P50+. plus. 147% higher for raw as opposed to dynamite. I was actually looking at something. it was totally not prepared. And I'm going to go off on a tangent here, even though we've got a lot more slides to go on. Um, I was looking at the show, this daily data <clears throat> last night, all of it going back to 2016. And I I calculated a rough estimate. We'll do this in more specific terms later, maybe. But I was doing a rough estimate. And I, and I was you know recalling our conversation where, where I scolded you. And you said, well, what, what if the cable TV bundle, uh, cable subscribers collapses, and, uh, and and cable subscribers continue to fall? Certainly, uh, they're at yeah. like I, I tweeted something last last night about you know the, the trends over the last couple of years. Uh, it's it's at in the high. I think it was like seventy eight million when you include the, the virtual MVPDs. Um, but I you know I I I, I, I scolded you at saying P fifty plus will never cut the cord. They will never pick up. Where's my where's my Apple TV? They will never pick (laughs) up this, this thin remote and figure out how to operate a dongle or whatever they have to do. Um, So what I did was I, I I basically took the total viewership and I subtracted out of it, the demo. So there is some under 18 there, but it's probably really minimal. Some vast majority, I would, I would guess like 90% of the non-demo viewership is 50 plus. And the non-demo viewership has barely moved over the years. And it, it goes up in 2020 for news reasons or pandemic reasons or whatever. But it's, it, the demo is definitely trending downward on an annual basis. Um, but I don't know, you could say, you know, t- TV viewership is on the decline. I don't know that, that, that the non-demo is on the decline though. And when I say non-demo, I really just mean P- P50 plus, right? Because certainly young people are not watching TV and are decreasing their, their watching of TV. But according to Nielsen, still the majority of the TV time happening in this country is through cable and, and broadcast, despite everyone that we probably know who's of a similar age are doing nothing but streaming. But anyway, anyway, uh, we do, d- did we see because uh, my, my theory here is that the big bang theory, <laughs> my big, my big bang theory <laughs> is that, you know, maybe big bang theory fed them a large viewership that, that wasn't there for dynamite. And, and, checked it out that's kind of what i predicted in advance so full disclosure there uh but we did we did see you know the the most watched quarter was the first quarter in total viewership meanwhile the demo was a lot more stable um did we see with this enormous no, enormously increased female audience uh, especially in the younger half of the demo did we see that audience tune out over time well yeah we absolutely did uh over hundred thousand viewers at the beginning of the program, and by the end of the program, we're down to eighty-eight thousand in women eighteen to thirty-four. Uh, the older half declined right away out of the first segment, too, out of the first quarter, I should say, one hundred and twenty-one, and by the, the second quarter, it's down to eighty-six thousand and basically stayed there, uh, very similar for the rest of the program in the eighty thousands. So maybe we what we had, if if it's not clear, is we had maybe we had a lot of women who are not normal dynamite viewers uh, tuning in, and then. Mostly, I don't don't want to say mostly, because it's not like they lost half the audience, but uh, somewhat tuning out afterward. Um, Yeah. And we saw when it comes to, though, the 18 to 34 audience as a whole, we had this enormous increase in 18 to 34 generally, including men. And as I said, it was bigger than any 18 to 34 audience that Raw or SmackDown have produced, uh, at least since late November. Was that the result of the, of the Big Bang Theory? Can we totally chalk that up to the Big Big Bang Theory? Well, what we don't see though, what I'm saying here is we don't see Q1 of eighteen thirty four really high, and then it goes down after that. Q1 in eighteen thirty four is two thirty. It grows in the in the next quarter to two, to two forty nine. I'm talking in thousands here, of course, and it's it's pretty stable throughout. It starts at two thirty, it goes up in the middle of the show, and then it goes back down to two twenty one. I'm sorry, to, yeah, two twenty one. Yeah. Anyway, it's visualized on the screen here for people watching. That's that's probably the best representation of it.
3: Um, yeah. So that's that's
2: that's dynamite. I don't know if you have any thoughts or
3: questions, uh, no, just you know, it, you see the 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 TBS title match looks to seem to have the highest eighteen to thirty four, and I think it it did as well on the females uh, eighteen to thirty four as well. Just in, you know, uh. Um, if you just break it down by uh gender, there, so uh, I mean, overall, I think this is, I mean, I would imagine this is performing probably better than they expected on the first time out. And I, know, I, don't, I don't
2: know, I, I I understand the observer that uh, this week says that TBS is happy, yeah. I uh, this is this was above my expectations. I mean, I put out a poll with. With four options on Twitter, which is what you can do, uh, it, it, you're limited to four options. And then i i you know my middle two options, uh, this was on the higher of my middle two options in terms of the range. Um, I was expecting maybe something like a three eight three nine, and it did a four three. So, in the demo, this was this was pretty good. Um, the funny thing is, just in terms of internet reaction, if we, if we put the actual numbers on the screen again, if if this did like a did like 988 or 990, I think the response would be a bit different. If it did just 20,000 viewers fewer, I think the psychological response of, oh my God, if it didn't do a million viewers on TBS, they're going out of business, would, would be more vocal. Uh, even if the demo was the same, because people are ultimately, regardless of what your network think, I mean, this in, in matters hardly at all, perhaps, but regardless of what your network wants or what you value it, Total viewership and the notion of whether you have a million viewers or not matters to some people on Twitter
3: for what it's worth, which isn't much. Um, anyway, all right, so we're gonna move on uh, to some more WWE news, and we have got a press release here uh, on Friday. Uh, WWE has announced that. It will report its fourth quarter and full year 2021 results on Thursday, February 3rd, 2022, after the close of the market. The company's chairman and CEO, Vincent K. McMahon, President and Chief Revenue Officer, Nick Khan, Chief Brand Officer Stephanie McMahon, and Chief Financial and Administrative Officer Frank A. Riddick will host a conference call beginning at 5 o'clock p.m. to discuss the results.
2: Yes, Frank A. Riddick is back, and he's also in charge of administration overseeing human resources. I think. Yeah. Um, there, the, I was surprised. So I tweeted a really generic, you know, fact about this is this, you know, they, they just put the press release out. This is when they're doing the next earnings call added nothing else to it. Uh, and I got like immediately zillions of by zillions. I mean like 30, uh, quote tweets, you know, freaking out about the next releases as if they always release people right after, The earnings call is over, which did happen last time. Uh, So, if we look at our image about all the releases and the dates of those releases that we used and discussed earlier, we we did see on November fourth many wrestlers get released right after the earnings call. I was trying to do a live stream about you know what was no longer the main news topic, Um, but we. So, what are the other dates here? None of these dates align with the timing of releases, at least not closely. Uh, Last year, February fourth was. The first uh, was, was the full year report, and there were no releases around that time. I mean, like Big Show and Steve Cutler were quietly released uh, in, in, in February. Uh, in, on April 22nd was the Q1 call. Uh, on April 15th, before that, by nearly a week, no, by a full week, wrestlers were released. Uh, so not, not closely coinciding, and in fact, being before. Uh, July 29th was the next earnings call. Wrestlers. Well, Bray Wyatt was released two days later, but that's he was the only one there. Uh, the the June releases. There were some big June releases, but those were in June. Again, this call was at the end of July, and then November fourth was is the is the example. So, uh, you know, I mean, I've I have no idea whether to expect releases after this call, but I would be I would be surprised. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. So, um, what am I expecting? for uh, for the report I'm expecting a billion dollars in revenue. Should be the most, the most that um W's ever reported. Never reached a billion yet. I expect them to, to reach that milestone. I I've estimated one point one billion dollars in revenue. One billion one hundred and two million dollars in revenue is my estimate. Of course we already have three quarters of that so you only have to, to estimate Q four. Uh, I'm I'm expecting a uh a money losing live events division. As attendance has gone down after a great Q3 benefiting from pent-up demand. Uh, yes, I think I was supposed to put another slide in here about what I expect for the profitability. Um, I'm expecting record profits as well. Uh, the record at the moment is 131 or $132 million in net income. I expect it to be substantially higher than that. Um, I will uh, publish a, a, an estimate, and a report. Um, this is my record in the EPS over the last six quarters. Last two quarters, I was more accurate than the than the consensus. Quarters before that, it's a mixed bag. Um so yes. All right. What now? What now, Chris Call?
3: Oh on yes. I just want to make sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Okay. All right. If I stop talking. So we're going to move on, on to on. some new ju- or you, or, all you right, well, or, or you, or you add something. So, so sometimes I think we're done. And then you come back with some more statistics. So yes. like, yes, I just want to
2: make sure that's true. I've learned that like this podcast thing is like speaking, I guess is more like wrestling than I realized in that. Like <laughs> if you, if you don't have to
3: rush. You don't have to rush. That's true. well, uh you know hey we're do, we're doing it live here, so um but yeah, we'll move on to the next story and new Japan Pro wrestling, which uh predictions of for us were were incorrect, uh they are returning to cable television United States March 3rd to the access network at 10 o'clock. It will be a uh with impact as a lead-in. To them, uh, but classic episodes will begin Thursday, January twentieth, at ten o'clock, and the weekly, the new weekly programs will begin Thursday, March third, at ten o'clock.
2: Yeah, um, I was surprised by this. Obviously, we were not. We we had a prediction program earlier uh, at the at the end of the year, and we both predicted that New Japan would not be coming to US TV in any meaningful way, uh, and here they are in access. Um, so they've clearly repair their relationship enough with with impact uh we've seen minoru suzuki appear on impact we've seen stoshi kojima appear on impact minoru suzuki popping a rating possibly uh with 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 a josh alexander match um so this is me airing in a block with impact uh i think this is gonna be a one-hour show right that's what it was in the past um yeah they're, they're coming out with these these classic episodes uh which are like full of uh current aw talent <laughs> and uh and then the new shows begin march 3rd um this is that 10 o'clock it's got impact as a lead-in for what it's worth what does this do for a rating i uh, i'm i'm guessing what, what is what's the table what does impact do for a rating right now
3: uh f- around a hundred thousand with a point oh two yeah that's what it did most
2: recently yeah, yeah. uh and it was at the first episode, you know, since the NFL season started that it was not going against uh, Thursday Night Football. Um, I think it's going to do a lot less. I think it's going to do substantially less than Impact. Uh, you know, all this stuff will, yes, it will be new to access or it'll be new to to this version of the program. But obviously, this this will be all stuff that has already been seen live uh through New Japan World. Um, so I would I would guess it's going to do like you know. 70,000 viewers What will be real interesting to see is, is if it, if it does on occasion beat impact, I'll be mildly surprised. Um, yeah. We'll see. I, I don't know if it was new, if it was truly like new content, if there's some way that, I mean, maybe new Japan someday will could use this block to do a live broadcast. I don't, I don't know. That's highly speculative though on my part. Um, Cause we do see a, a surge in young viewership when things matter and things are newsworthy you know, those people are a lot less sticky and it's older people who are a lot more and impacts audiences overwhelmingly out of the demo uh, for the, the extent to which we can measure it, which, you know, seems to be with less accuracy, the smaller the audiences, but, but this is, uh, for new Japan, this is uh, this is something that they really need. They've been off us television since the end of 2019, as long as uh, impact has been on there. Right. Uh, and if you're going to really have this global strategy where you, want to run live events, which seems like a kind of unfocused strategy that you know relative to what the U S strategy should be, which should be more focused on media. I mean, this is, this is in the right direction. I doubt they're getting much money for this. Yeah. Maybe it's an ad revenue share. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I question whether, whether access or Anthem is a, is a profitable company. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's owned by the aspers. Um, so, yeah, this is something that New Japan badly needs. Uh, and if they're going to really grow in the U.S., especially in terms of financial growth, they need to produce a strong TV product. And this is a good first step towards doing that. Uh,
3: one quick thought I have on that before. I wonder how much they're going to integrate talent that they regularly feature on New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong mm. on this one-hour program. You know, the the Jonas, the Buddy Matthews, the people that might be recognizable recognizable to the uh american television audience
2: yeah i get the new japan roster the, like the 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 like I, I wrote new japan proper earlier this week like that's a really strong roster and it's a really big deal domestically i almost wonder if they and i don't know what the maybe the expense would make this you know untenable but i wonder if you know even you know, like doing live broadcasts of the new japan strong stuff that they're taping in in la yeah. would be um would be a m- more attractive tv property than airing matches that are at least like a week old on access um like i can talk through this like so we had like this isn't a big deal cuz we're still in this pandemic era um i i don't know what the capacity limits were uh, off the top of my head but uh russell kingdom was uh this this past week uh did you stay up uh and, until crack of dawn watching Wrestle Kingdom, Chris Colo.
3: I did not this year. No, I have in years past, but this year, oh, I have, did you? Not. have you have you? When was the last time you did? Uh, probably 2019. I'd say was mm-hmm. the last time I did that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so pre pandemic
2: Wrestle Kingdom was mostly a one day event. Uh, we do have what seemed to be legitimate numbers, or at least maybe, maybe not paid attendances, but legitimate total attendances that would include cops, uh, in 2016, 25000 at the Tokyo Dome. The, the, the next year, a little bit higher to 26000 at the Tokyo Dome. The next year in 2018, about 35000 This is, what's the main event here? In 2018 of Wrestle Kingdom. This is, um, the following year is, is Omega and Tanahashi. And 17 is the first Omega and Okada. So is 18 Okada and Naito?
3: think let's, let's see here. I'm pulling it up right now. Uh Wrestle Kingdom, main event. This also one featured Jericho as well. Uh, but it was a yeah, it was Okada Nyeto. Uh but it had it had, this one at 18 at Omega Jericho. Okay. As well. Okay, so so
2: nineteen is uh Omega's last match in New Japan. Uh 38,000 Um and then we have the following year, the last pre-pandemic. Wrestle Kingdom January 2020, the first two day Wrestle Kingdom, 30,000. I'm sorry, 40,000 on day one, 30,000 on day two, a combined attendance of 70,000. We're getting on, you know, WrestleMania level there. Um, and then the pandemic happened the following year, day one, about 13,000. Day two, just under 8,000. So total of about 20,000 there. Uh, and then this year, we had sort of a three day, Wrestle Kingdom with the third day in Yokohama Arena, the New Japan and NOAA uh, interpromotional matches. But day one did 12,000 and day two did half of that, which is somewhat similar to to the fall off in the previous year where it did 13 and then about 8,000 this year doing 12 and then about 6,000. Uh, so, yeah. And then the this second day with the New Japan matches doing 7,000. So, I don't know. Who knows what will happen with the uh, COVID and its various variants. Maybe maybe next year, maybe next year we'll have a full capacity uh wrestle kingdom and we'll be able to really reevaluate what uh, this company can draw, but I think
3: everybody's running at a limited capacity still. All right. And uh we're going to uh, move on uh with some YouTube data as far as what are the highest ranking videos in the last 7 days. Yes. Yes. Just quickly. I
2: had some issues with my YouTube scripts. We were we're relying on my old YouTube script. Anyway, the, um, so this is after 23 hours, roughly, uh, the number one YouTube video, the number, the top seven were all WWE YouTube videos by this measure. Uh, the Brock Lesnar comes face to face with Roman Reigns from SmackDown is, was the top performing with 1.8 million views, which is really high. Uh, for what what we've been looking at lately here. We've been seeing maybe one or two uh videos over a million. And we've got three. And they're both brock. Well, yes, two of them are Brock Lesnar videos. Uh Brock Lesnar reunites with Paul Heyman on Raw. Oh, it was on he was on Raw. Brock yeah. was on Raw. I said earlier in a not this episode, but I said on Thursday, I think that he wasn't. Anyway, Seth Freaking Rollins uh and will face Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble question mark. 1 million views as well. Uh, we have to go down to number eight to find uh, the video for Hangman and Danielson 2 uh, f- on Dynamite uh, with over half a million. So that's enough All right. of
3: that. And- All right. And then um, we're going to move on to a very interesting uh, story that we originally, there was a partnership announced between Disney hot star and WWE, and that was to become the exclusive streaming home in Indonesia for the WWE Wait a minute, Network. what is,
2: Chris Gallo what is Disney Hotstar?
3: So Disney Hotstar is a streaming uh, service predominant in Southeast Asia. It actually started in India back in 2017 with the partnership of Hotstar, which Hotstar started as a streaming service mostly for cricket and then featured, you know, Movies and television programs in India. Uh, They made a deal with Disney. World. Yep, they made a uh, deal with Disney, uh, which obviously you know Disney's programs would be on there as well. And then they expanded throughout Southeast Asia. In 2020 is when they went into Indonesia, um, with the Disney Hotstar streaming service, which was your Disney programs and then Indonesian movies and television shows, uh, and. I di- didn't do a lot of digging on this. I don't know if there's a lot of sports entertainment programs on the Indonesian platform of Disney Hotstar. So, again, this
2: covers what regions this this Disney Hotstar service?
3: So, so Disney Hotstar is is throughout Southeast Asia. So, uh, so it India. In India, was the first. And then it, went, it moved into Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, and they have plans to move into the Philippines and, the Vien- and Vietnam this year. Okay. So this press release that for a moment was out there. We'll get into it. We'll,
2: we'll explain this in a moment. But this – yeah, I guess we should just explain it. So there was a press release that did make it to the corporate website. If you, If you Google, I believe still right now, if you Google Disney Plus Hotstar becomes exclusive home of WWE Network – you will in your Google search results see a link to corporate.w.com, which appears to be a press release. If you click on it, you will just be directed to the IR front page for WWE. Um, So it appears that they published this press release, quickly removed it. I, I even saw a tweet from Sports Business Journal with a byline, you know, linking to an article with a by, byline from from John O'Rand. John O'Rand's reported a. Uh, he was one of the reporters who reported on the, the value of the Peacock and WWE deal uh, last year. So John O'Ran was ready to report on this. Sports Business Journal quickly deleted that tweet. Uh, and I, I've, I've clicked on the link that they had in their tweet, and it didn't go anywhere. Uh, so they deleted their article, too, if, they, if it was ever there in the first place. I don't know. Um, and this was on – what day was this on? This was on January 4th, which was what day of the week? That was Tuesday. I yeah, figured. Tuesday, well, yeah. I figured. Well, maybe there was. There still may it still may be the case. I figured. Well, maybe there's some miscommunication about when they were going to do this announcement. They thought they were going to do it later, and somebody accidentally put it out there uh, earlier. But uh, so I figured. Well, maybe in a day or two we'll see this. And we still it's, we're talking on Sunday. And to my knowledge, we still have not seen this press release genuinely republished. Um, so very strange. Uh, do we have? We do actually have the text uh, of the press release. Which we we could find through like some wire services. Um, I don't know if we need to read this whole thing. Uh, just read the first paragraph.
3: Yeah, this is the first paragraph. The Walt Disney Company and WWE Today announced a multi-year agreement to make Disney Plus Hotstar the exclusive home of WWE Network in Indonesia. WWE Network, uh, including its premium live event content, will be available on Disney Plus Hotstar in Indonesia, beginning with the Royal Rumble on Sunday, January 30th in uh, Indonesian time. So it sounds like this wouldn't have, wouldn't have um, been
2: affecting India, right, which is their number two TV market. The w network is already distributed there through Sony live. I don't know if that's like the, the final best deal that they can get to distribute the W network, but, but Sony live is a, is a lower price point video service than it would cost to, uh, subscribe to the W network, uh, in, in India at nine ninety nine. um, so it's a more appropriately priced way to get access to the I mean, Sony Live is. This appears to have only would only be something that would have been available if it ever is. I don't know. If it's if it's going to be available, this is something that would be available in Indonesia only, apparently. Yeah. Indonesia is not a huge WTV market to my knowledge. There are a lot of people in, in Indonesia though. Uh, but uh yeah, we've got we even got like a we've got a quote from Vinit. who's the general manager of Indonesia, Walt Disney. We've got a quote from Nick Khan uh, calling the Walt Disney, the gold standard in creating iconic intellectual property. Oh, that's such a Nick Khan sentence. I love it. Uh, Oh, what is it? Yes. The Walt Disney company has long been the gold standard in creating iconic intellectual property that serves as the backbone for international business growth. Hell yeah! Anyway, um, so they're clearly prepared to make this announcement, but uh, they immediately pulled it back.
3: Um, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I actually have uh, always been fascinated. I, you know, at least I don't know about the whole country of Indonesia, but I remember like when I was going. You to went to Bali Indonesia, my, right? Yes, I remember I was going to Bali for my Wait, did You go to India or to Indonesia?
2: You you, you thought? Did you, did you think for a minute? You think that they're both the same country, right? No,
3: no, I, no, I, uh, but, um, oh, they're, they're different countries, I, they're different countries. Yes. When I went to Bali in Indonesia, yes. uh, when I went to Bali, when was uh, this? I did a lot of research like what stuff that maybe check out there or just, was just what year? I was curious what your goal, uh, 2017. Okay. And I was curious, is there a independent wrestling scene in Bali? Mm-hmm. And I cannot find a single strand of any wrestling resemblance in Bali. And you know, when you go to the stores and they have like the knockoff pop culture things and stuff like that and all that, not a single WWE wrestling thing I saw in stores and all that. So, I mean, I don't know about the whole country, but I know Bali itself didn't seem to have really any interest in pro- in wrestling or sports entertainment, I should say. Mm-hmm. So,
2: I mean, I, I did a I, I did a Twitter search for like Disney WB or I did, I did a Twitter search for Hot Star WB and um, you know you, you don't find much you see some people speculating about um, you know look at look at the the, the news which we're going to talk about in a moment about you know the, the report I guess we should say about how how well WB is doing on Peacock and and maybe this would conflict somehow with the NBCU relationship and. Maybe somebody put a stop to this. I I don't know. I mean, they got so far that they wrote a press release and were, they drafted it and were ready to hit the publish button. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. WWE, by the way, I mean, I know Disney is relatively new and, and, and well, successful, but relatively new to streaming. Um, it's not like W has a relationship with Disney in any market that I can think of currently. This would, as far as I can recall this would be this if this deal is happening or it does happen would be WWE's first business partnership with disney uh again that i can recall is that is that is that a discomfort or is that to the opposite of some other partners interests like NBC universal i don't know um but it's plausible to me uh we do have some news here that we can share from uh this comes to us from Streamable, which was aggregating something reported by Matthew Belloni, who writes a newsletter uh, and is associated with Puck. Not sure what that is, but the, I mean, this this guy's verified on Twitter, so he seems like a legit reporter. But tell tell us what he reported.
3: Yep. So, Matt uh, Belloni's what I'm hearing newsletter on Puck. Uh, Peacock's WWE Network acquisition has gone very well for the company as conversion rates coming from the network are high and subscribers are watching WWE content in spades. So uh, in last March, uh, NBC Universal took over the pro wrestling outfits, WWE Network, and its 1.1 million subs, offering them a deal on Peacock for their Roman Reigns fix. Check out these internal Peacock stats that came to me from a source. Of the 1.1 million subscribers to the WWE Network, 1 million successfully converted to Peacock subscribers. More than three million Peacock subs have watched WWE content since it moved over in March, and more than half of those three million subs indicated that they signed up because of WWE. Mm-hmm. So, WWE had 1.1
2: million domestic subscribers uh, before they made the deal with, with Peacock. Um, and, and this this is saying that one million of them, one million out of 1.1 million converted that seems plausible that they could track that, right? You could track that with
3: mm-hmm.
2: credit card numbers or addresses or something. That wouldn't be that hard. It would just be a matter of sharing data between WWE and, and NBC Universal, which is probably happening. Um, more than 3 million Peacock, Peacock subs have watched W content. I mean, it could be a second of content for all we know, but have watched W content since it moved over in March. 3 million is more. Now, that's just domestically, presumably, right? Because Peacock is not – the W content is only available on Peacock in the United States, right? And that there's minimal distribution outside of the U.S. for Peacock in general. Um, so that's plausible. That's a lot more – I mean, that's like three times more subscribers, whoever concurrently subscribed to to the W network in the U.S. So that's – I think we have to register that as impressive. Um, and, you know, it speaks to the – the reach that that the greater reach that WB hyped and is getting through through Peacock um, more than half of those 3 million subs indicated that they signed up because of WB. So I, I am a Peacock subscriber. Are you a Peacock subscriber?
3: I am. And I became a Peacock subscriber after WB network announced they were moving. Sure. Over but to
2: I mean, Peacock. like, have you, have you been surveyed? How, how would, how I wonder how no. they're measuring that indication I subs- I signed up <laughs> because of W. I I mean, maybe maybe they're surveying a sample and extrapolating that onto the the wider population.
3: But um, yeah. I know I didn't fill out a survey. I mean, maybe I was emailed one, but I don't I don't remember that. Yeah. So that's that's
2: this is the first that I've seen of like some something approaching real data about how is WB doing on Peacock you know Nikon on earnings calls, I believe on the, on two earnings calls ago gave some percentage differences, you know, no real numbers, no real viewers, but percentage differences between what the viewership is now on Peacock versus what it was when it was a standalone W network. And, you know, all the, all the, all the the deltas that he shared were positive, of course, by double digits. Um, But this, you know, we, there's been some, some sort of, unsupported by data hype around how great W has been for Peacock. Uh, But this, this adds some credibility to that. Uh, How many subscribers does Peacock have in general? I don't think anybody knows. I mean, not outside of internally, (laughs) Uh, you know, who who knows how many subscribers there are, but more than 3 million.
3: (laughs) Um, Before we, we uh, move on to our next topic. uh, Tim B did have a super chat, uh, going back to the YouTube, uh, with the, the YouTube views seem real low. Twenty-eight times the subs of AEW, but only two times the views seems insanely low for the tenth largest YouTube channel in existence.
2: Right. So, thank you, Tim, for the super chat. Appreciate that. So, what we're looking at here is new content only, um, and I think we talked about this last week. And I, I did sort of revisit this question in the week that passed. We don't have we don't have any images to share right now. But at least last week, and I'm assuming that that, that last week was representative of what what the channel is doing normally, something like 20 or 30%, I think it's 20% of the views that had happened in that week were of new content. So views that were of content published in the week, 20%. 80% is for older content, content one week old or older. So while W has you know, multiple times more subscribers than any, than any other wrestling company. Um, they have enormous watch time on their YouTube channel, largely driven. I mean, like 80% driven by just their continuously growing library of, of YouTube videos, which is obviously supported by their enormous library of, of video content generally, and that they're adding to every single week. And they're always, I mean, they're not just, and we are, we are including the full matches that they post. So it's anything that's posted, what we're looking at is anything that's published a new YouTube video, even if it's this, um, full match from 2016 between Roman Reigns and Sheamus, uh, you know, just another way that they're continuing to add to the, to the library of content that they they've got out there. They're always, you know, uh, at least once, probably multiple times a week, they're, they're posting some full match from at least a few years ago. And a lot of the, a lot of like the most famous matches in WWE history are are on W's YouTube channel, and they have like millions of views. Like I think the, say the Hogan and Warrior match is I think on YouTube, you know. So some of the, some of their most famous matches, and, and it probably has a lot of views. Probably has well over a million or something. So, um, how much is that worth? We all uh, probably should always remind ourselves how much this is really worth. Maybe some hidden marketing value, but uh, in terms of direct revenue. Uh, you know my, my rule of thumb, especially when we're talking about a global brand that's probably getting a lot of its viewership from outside of the United States, probably to the to the rate of like thirty in, percent inside the United States, seventy percent outside, and, and the the CPM is going to be much much less valuable outside of the United States. So we're probably getting something like you know a dollar for every thousand views, roughly. You know, so a, you get a million views, you get a thousand dollars, a lot of money to you and me. Yeah. The WWE not so much. Oh, but they're, but on on a whole year, I think they're they're bringing. In, maybe like $30 million, something like that in just YouTube revenue, which is, you know, on, on the course of a big international TV rights deal, India's $50 million a year, five, zero, uh, it, the UK TV deals. I, we don't know what it's worth on an average annual basis, but it's probably similar to what they're getting on YouTube in a year.
3: All right. Uh, we will move on uh, to our next story and uh, oh. a, a new licensing deal. Yes, as WWE has done business with IGT and uh, I'll release the press release. We'll kind of get into what IGT is, but uh, uh, the press release on Thursday, WWE announced that it has signed a multi-year exclusive licensing agreement with International Game Technology, PLC, IGT, on the New York Stock Exchange to develop and distribute WWE-branded omni-channel lottery games and turnkey promotional programs featuring company logos, superstars, events, and programs. IGT is the clear industry leader in the lottery and gaming space. And we look forward to collaborating by bringing our intellectual property to our fans and lottery games around the globe, said Alex Varga, WWE president of revenue strategy and development. This is an exciting opportunity for us to continue to leverage the strong crossover between the WWE universe and another segment of the gaming landscape. And there's that, that, that Nick Nikon IP that he stresses so much uh, to use that in many different platforms. Um, IGT from my research here is a company that really got big in slot machines and they have offices in Las Vegas.
2: When I, I uh, sorry, when I, when I saw this, I figured this was some sort of digital game. This is, these are like literally scratch off lottery tickets. Is that what we're talking about here?
3: Scratch off lottery tickets. Yes. Yes. Uh they started with slot machines and all that. And yes, yeah, scratch off lottery tickets that they, that they have been doing business with national and state lotteries for the last few years. But yeah, they're a company that uh, uh, has international uh, offices too in Rome is they're actually owned uh, by an Italian business owner. 51% of the company of the shares are owned um, by that. And then the rest are, you know, obviously spread throughout, but yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, just based on it's a, it's a Nick just throw the IP on anything yeah. and it's such a such a Nikon move
2: um so the, the the quote here from from Alex Varga W Vice President of Revenue Strategy and Development uh according to his LinkedIn profile he is a former CAA employee so somebody who apparently previously worked with Nick Khan and, and was brought over to W with him um yes so who, who got featured on on this on this lottery ticket
3: it's current talent right Nope, Ultimate Warrior, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Macho Man Randy Savage. I see,
2: okay, but but that's 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 the power of intellectual property, Chris Cullo. That's like you know nobody's nobody's yelling at Marvel, being like, you haven't created any new stars since Spider Man. Nobody's so stop complaining about new stars. They, I, th- I think, I think maybe they they should think about just sort of re- relaunching the Ultimate Warrior or something like that, or maybe re- relaunching Macho Man Randy Savage.
3: You know. <laughs> just recast them. Yeah, I mean, they. It's a different uh, universe. Yes. All right, uh, and uh, I know the news that you were waiting for. When was the next large scale international event?
2: Why was I waiting for this?
3: I don't know. I'm just going to mess with you. <laughs> but uh, and that would be Saturday, February nineteenth. Yes. The WWE returns to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia.
2: Yes. Many, many have reported this. Andrew, Andrew Zarian, Sean Ross Sapp, John Pollock have all confirmed this, I believe as the date. Um, so that, that was apparent. It was apparent that it would be in February from the pay view excuse me, premium live event schedule that was put out that had gaps in February and I think it's October. So that's probably when, when the other one is, uh, later this year in October. Uh, now, uh, what, what do you think it costs, to fly a massive dome cage across the Atlantic asking for a friend? Uh, probably at least a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing that this will be a uh, elimination chamber pay-per-view with an elimination chamber uh, in Saudi Arabia, maybe even called elimination chamber. We shall see. That's I mean, I mean, I could see that as, you know, well, we've exhausted the undertaker. Um, Goldberg doesn't have that many matches left on his deal. Give him, give him Brock a bunch of times. Probably give him Brock again. Brock loves that Saudi money. Uh, what else can we give him? We already gave him the greatest Royal Rumble. We can give him the Elimination Chamber. So that adds up. Um, in relation to this date, February 19th. So if you'll notice, if you go to and look at their live event schedule. Uh, they've got a gap uh, on, on a SmackDown date. We've got a February 11th SmackDown and, uh, we've gotten no, what would be February 18th SmackDown date on listing. We do have a February 25th SmackDown. Uh, so, uh, I'm guessing that this new Orleans February 11 SmackDown, probably going to be a double taping. And, uh, so, so they can get the talent to, to, um, Saudi Arabia. Not, not gonna, I think, I think maybe they've learned from cutting it close with, with talent, uh, getting back in time for the show. There was an issue with that. I mean, obviously there was an issue with the, with the, the, the dramatic strand they're stranded in Riyadh, uh, thing
3: before the pandemic. But, um,
2: wasn't there some issue the most recent time with getting some talent back in time or something like that?
3: Yeah, I think it was just like, they were kind of nervous that they would get back in time just because of the the flights, the, how long the flights are.
2: I mean, I guess there's, there's still a question about, I guess they do this on a Saturday. Will the raw talent get back in time, but I don't think this will be cutting it as close. Uh, We'd have to look at what the what the days days of the weeks were that they did this previously. But I don't recall this being done on a Saturday. So apparently this will be some Saturday morning nope. wrestling live from Saudi Arabia. Hey,
3: Saturday, Nick Khan's favorite day for a premium live event. There you go. Probably Brian opening the sports calendar. Okay. Anything else to add here? Uh no, uh not else to add. Just, you know, uh the deal continues with Saudi Arabia.
2: How much money do they make every time they go?
3: uh it's, it's what f- is it 50 million 45 50 million, million? 50 yeah.
2: to 55 million dollars they disclose and they'll probably disclose this again in the annual report where they disclose um any customer who gives them more than 10% of their revenue they have to disclose how they don't have to disclose who that partner is who that customer is but they do have to disclose how much you know if it's more than 10% well how much was it um, and if anyway, what, what, how do we know this? A number of reasons why we know this, but one, one reason is that they disclosed that they received, uh, $110 million from a partner. Um, I believe in two different years, you know, both recent years and, and years where they were doing the, the Saudi events. So that would, that would stand to reason that they're getting about $55 million every year, uh, for every event. So more than a hundred million dollars every year. Uh, this is a company that makes hundred hundred million on a company that makes roughly a billion in revenue. And if if they if they do generate you know one point one billion, which I think they will, that's still ten percent. Still probably going to have to disclose that. Uh, again, they, they don't make it explicit and say this was from the General Sports Authority or something like that. But they do say you know, and we do get an idea of how much they're making from NBC Universal, who is by far their biggest customer. So anyway, all done. Yeah thumbs up if you would it helps people find this video helps people discover russell share it on your timeline if you you would press the subscribe button subscribe to us on youtube if you haven't already um russell omics always is brought to you with the support of of post wrestling yeah i'm always working with way we've got uh got some merchandise on the way that'll be coming soon um no pun intended we have merchandise on the way um what are your plugs? Oh, oh, go to the discord post wrestling discord. There's a wrestling channel there. Chat with me and others about wrestling business. Sorry. Go ahead.
3: No. Yeah. And uh, you can uh, listen to RTI pod on Twitter, rediscovering in these Instagram and Facebook. Uh, if you haven't uh, check out our ring of honor, CCW war episode. Um, you know, that we wanted to kind of put out some, we always wanted to want to kind of put out with obviously, you know, the uncertain future of ring of honor. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's a, it's a great deep dive and, and it's, uh, the stuff, uh, it's some interesting stuff that, that Jim Cornette said that I didn't even want to say on the air, <laughs> um, uh, that, that he was saying back then that it definitely would not be allowed in today. what year? Uh, 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds about right.
2: So, uh, you can sign up to the Russellonics Patreon if you are not already signed up for just $5 a month at patreon.com slash You get access to my TV ratings reports nearly every weekday. You get access to the Russellonics viewership spreadsheet. You get the audio of the live TV ratings talk that happens every Thursday. It happens live on the Russellonics YouTube channel, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, just after the Diamond Ratings come out. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Brandon Thurston, at Russellonics at Chris Gullo, at RTI Pod. You can tell us who's a draw, who's not a draw. I prefer you, you, you send those comments to Chris Gullo, though. Um, but yeah, thanks, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I will talk to you again on Thursday. Uh, until next time, bye.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices,